Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's We're in Genesis 3 today. We're continuing a series out of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you've got your Bible and you want to open it there, you can. Or if you've got a device, you can pull it up. First book on the list. Um, Or it's going to be on the screen behind me, so you don't have to worry about that. It's a story that even if you're new to church, even if you've never been in church before, you've probably heard this story. We're going to try to unpack it together. I was back in uh, college one night. I'm sitting with some buddies in our in our room, just doing what college guys do, sitting around. And we realized that one of our other buddies is missing. We don't know, we don't know where he's at. And the, the longer he's gone, the more worried we get about him. We're not worried for his safety. We're, we're worried about his reputation because he likes this girl that none of us like. I'll just be really honest, okay? None of us really like this girl. And that's because this was a small Christian college in Abilene. And at a small Christian college, some of you know you've been there, everybody knows everything about everyone. Well, except him, okay? Because we all knew she was leading them on. We all knew that she was uh, seeing a couple other guys. Again, it's a small Christian college and everybody knows everything about everyone. But she was telling him that he was the one. Okay. Well, he's missing one night, and so we kind of get worried about him. We go looking for him, and we don't have to look too far. We go to the girl's dorm, and there, standing outside her window at the girl's dorm in the pouring rain is our buddy shouting up his love to her. And let me just tell you, young people, it doesn't work out like it does in the movies. Like, don't think because it's raining, this is my shot. You know, it's, it, it didn't work out, so he just stands there yelling his love for her out at her window and so we're like this is not good so we go and we try to drag him out of there and he won't come she loves me she loves me finally she comes down the stairs to talk to him but when she sees his face she decides she wants no part in that and so she gets in her car to drive away so he does the reasonable thing and jumps on the hood of her car (laughs) just screaming I love you you love me Uh, we do some unfortunate things when we don't know the truth, right? You ever been there? I mean, the damage was done at that point for him, not, not to the hood of her car, her car was fine, but to his reputation, like for two years, he was the hood guy. You can't get away from that in a small Christian college. Two years, you couldn't get another day. Oh, the hood guy? I mean, like, stay away from him, okay? But the thing is, he was doing what he was doing because he thought she was telling him the truth. Now, it was terrible choices, but um, he thought he was doing what he was doing because he knew the truth. And the reality, he was, he was believing a lie. He was believing a lie. And so that really helps us, you know, get ready to think about the story in Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve. Now, one way to approach the first chapter first few chapters of Genesis, which is the start of the great biblical story that we all kind of find ourselves in, 
One way to look at these early chapters is, is the revelation or the unveiling of what's true, what's most true about God and about us. Like I talked about that last week, that's how Jesus viewed these chapters as authoritative or the source of truth. That's how he thought about these chapters. And so you look at Genesis 1 and 2, and here's kind of the truth as it's being unveiled. It's that God is the creator. He's responsible for all this. He's at the center of this story, not me, him. But God gives to us this, this special privilege or special right. He places his image on each of us. We're made in the image of God. And it's because of that, that if, that if everybody were to live into that and to treat each other as the image of God bearers that they are, that our world would be so much better. And then in chapter two, he gives to humans purpose. Remember this? It's not good for us to live without purpose. He gives to us his instruction, his guidelines, his encouragement, and we need that in our lives. That's good for us, we're told. And then he gives us relationships. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. And he gives us relationships. So God's relationships, his community is good for me. And again and again in these first chapters of Genesis, that's what we hear. This is good. This is good for you. Or as Jesus would say, this is true. This is true. So you kind of boil what's happening down in, in these first two chapters. If you kind of boil it down, what you see is that God's provision for me, his purpose for me, his instruction for me, his design of me, the relationships, the community that he gives me, all of that is good for, good for me. So really short, God is good for me. And that's the, the truth of the beginning of Genesis. And so what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that as humans live into that truth, that God is what's best for me, that it goes well for them. I mean, Genesis chapter two ends, like if you're open to Genesis chapter three, just look up one verse. Genesis chapter two ends like this. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know, they're, they're living into the truth of God's design, his purposes for them, his goodness. And the result is total vulnerability, openness, and zero shame. Doesn't that sound... Awesome. No shame. All right, so that gets us ready for what happens in chapter three. Okay. When, you know, what we have here in chapter three is undoubtedly one of the most important passages in Scripture. And I think what this story is asking us to do is to ask ourselves a question. And the question is do I believe the truth or lies? Because what we know is that I will act based on what I believe. That all of my choices have their source in something I believe to be true. And I think the question that God is asking of us in these first chapters of Genesis, not just the question he was asking of Adam and Eve long ago, it's a question he's asking of each of us. And that is, do I believe the truth or do I fall for lies? Now, I, when I ask that question instantly, you're like, oh, I'm a truth person for sure. <laughs> you know, we all think that about ourselves. Like, I, always, I always believe the truth. But, but the reality is we are not as good at picking out truth from lies as we think we are. Uh, let me tell you a story. 
And John Mark Comer tells this story in his book, Live No Lies. It's a great book. I recommend it. And I knew part of the story, not the whole story. It's 1938. It's the night before Halloween. And this is the era of radio. So everybody turns on the radio at night for their news and entertainment. And there's this young burgeoning radio producer named Orson Welles. And he's trying to boost the ratings on his program that comes on after the news. So he's tried a couple things. None of them are exactly working. So then he gets this idea. He reads this famous book called War of the Worlds. Anybody ever heard of this? It's about an alien invasion of Earth. And he decides, like, what if we do in our little radio spot immediately after the news, what if we do kind of like this fake news slot? where it's kind of like a news story, but it's talking about an alien invasion, right? People are going to love that. They're going to tune in every night to hear more of that. Our ratings are going to go through the roof. His ratings did go through the roof. But what he didn't account for was that night when some people tuned in, that they tuned in a few minutes late. And so what they hear is a, 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 a radio um, anchor saying from some field outside of New Jersey the, about some terrible alien arising from the ground, coming towards him quickly, and then the, the feed cuts off, right? And people went crazy. People went crazy. Uh, the New York Times reported that as many as a million people went out and bought firearms that night. Uh, people went to churches to pray, and then one woman, according to the New York Times, broke into a New York church and said, um, sorry, a church outside of New York. She broke in and she said, New York's been destroyed. I believe the end of the world has come. You might as well go home and die. She said, that's the person you want around you at the end of the world, right? Um, the New York Times reported a wave, a wave of mass hysteria, all because of a radio program about aliens invading Earth. You know, we are not as good as we think at picking out the truth from lies. Like sometimes we fall for it. And here's why. This is what the Bible makes clear. It's not just that there are lies out there kind of floating around. It's that every lie has a source. It has an author. And that that author has an intent in the lies that he spins and wants you to believe. Jesus says it like this, and most scholars think he's talking about the Genesis 3 story when he says this. Jesus says this. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Well, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies. I mean, that's a powerful accusation. You know, our story, we're talking about this year, my part, God's plan. You know, our big story is trying to show us that there is an author of what's true. That's what we're reading about in Genesis 1 and 2. There is an author of what's true. There is also an author of what is false. There's an author of every lie. And Jesus goes on to say that his purpose in spinning and telling lies in this world is singular. His purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the destruction of everything good that God has made. That's his purpose. And so this is really important as we come to Genesis 3, and that's where we're about to go. We're getting there. Because Adam and Eve have been given a job of protecting the good creation that God has made in Genesis 2 protecting it. And in Genesis 2, it's not clear to them that creation's under any kind of attack. 
But maybe they're thinking, maybe one's going to come. And so they're kind of expecting this head-on attack. Maybe a monster is going to come swinging a club. Or there's going to be a hurricane or a tornado. Or there's going to be a pandemic or something big like that. And they're kind of guarding up for that. And what happens is much more subtle and much more sinister. Like Satan doesn't have to come as a monster swinging a club. All he does is lie. It's just lie to him. And everything unravels. Look at this. This is in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent, and let me be clear, Christian tradition interprets the serpent to be Satan. There's several passages in the New Testament that make that connection. I'm not gonna go into that today, that'd be a long class, but I believe this is Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty, don't trust him, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat uh, from fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. Well, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. What's the first thing we're told about the serpent? He's crafty. He's tricky. He's a liar. Don't trust him. And there's several lies here. The last one I'll point out first, and then I want to spend our time on the first one. The last one is he says, God knows you're going to be like him. And that's why he doesn't want you to eat this. Do you remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? That each of us are made in the image of God. You know what that means? We're like God from the beginning. He's not trying to keep that from you. That's how he made you. Like that's how he made Adam and Eve. Satan is promising something to us that God has already said is true about us, that we're like him. Look at that lie. He's making her believe she doesn't have something God's already given her. All right, but what I wanna focus on is what he says to her at first about the fruit. He says, uh, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That is not what God actually said. Look at this in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. I just want you to look at the difference between what Satan says God said and what God actually said. This is what God actually said, Genesis 2. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. Yes, there's a restriction here in God's instruction. But would anybody who heard this think that God was being restrictive or oppressive? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, except that one. Don't eat from that. I I was trying to think of a a parallel. Imagine that somebody gave you this like fancy sports car. Okay, and they said, hey, I want you to drive on any road you want in town, drive as fast as you want on any of those roads in town. There's no consequences anywhere you want to go, fast as you want to go. Now there's this one road over here, this alleyway that's got potholes and stuff. It would totally wreck your car. Don't drive down that, but anywhere else you want to go is all yours. Like who's going to hear that and think, this guy's holding out on me. What does he not want me to see down that road? Right, I mean, this is empowering. What Adam would have heard was like, Wow, can you believe God trusts me with all this? God has given me all this more than enough anywhere I wanna go. This wasn't oppressive, right? This was empowering. But the devil takes what God says and he twists it, he spins it. 
he changes just a couple words. And he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, that is not what God said, but it's almost what God said. You see it? It's just a little bit, a little bit different. And Eve tells him, no, God didn't say that. He didn't say that. He, he did say that we can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. But, but he also said, you know, we're not supposed to touch that tree. Well, God didn't say she wasn't supposed to touch that tree. He just said she wasn't supposed to eat from it. What you have here is Eve is, is believing the serpent. And it's distorting what she knows to be true. So that now she is even speaking untruths or lies. God didn't say she can't touch the tree. He just said she couldn't eat from it. And already that's not clear to her anymore. Right? And then look what happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked shame. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made covering for themselves. Now this is where the story hits even closer to home. Okay. She begins to believe a lie. And notice if you'll throw that passage back up there one more time, if you don't mind, she begins to believe a lie. And then because she believes the lie, what she knows to be bad, she labels what? Good. She's unable to distinguish the difference anymore. And then once she's unable to distinguish the difference between a truth and a lie, bad and good, her desires kick in. Literally the word is her lusts kick in. Her desires kick in and she makes her choice based on what? What she wants, what she desires. Try to think of a, a metaphor for this. You remember the days when we had to, um, we had maps like before, you know, maps were in your pocket and on a phone and you couldn't get lost, okay? Think back to those days, you needed a, a compass and the only way a map works is if you know which direction's north and you know which direction you need to go. Okay, that's what it means to be oriented. But you can imagine a scenario in which that dial just starts spinning and you can't figure out which way's north. Well, then you're lost, you're disoriented and then you pick which way you're gonna go based on what? Well, it feels good. Like, this must be the right way to go because that's kind of what I want. And the story of Adam and Eve is that as soon as that happens, everything unravels. She loses her sense of direction, her sense of what's true. Her desires kick in and mislead her. And she's got no help at this point. I mean, she's, she's totally helpless except for this dude, Adam. What's he doing? He's there the whole time watching this happen. He's been given this job of protecting God's creation. Here God's creation is under assault from a liar. And what's he do? Yeah, that apple does look pretty good. Um, you know, there's, there's a lesson here about marriage. Remember we talked about last week, we just hit on this, that what God gives to Adam is an ally. That's somebody to help him in his job of protecting what's good from the assault. And so I can't tell you how many times that Lindsay has jumped in at the last moment and kept me from doing something I shouldn't do. You know, from believing something I shouldn't believe and therefore doing something I shouldn't do. Do you 
really want to send that email? She might say, well, yeah, I want to send this email. Well, maybe you shouldn't. How many of you have a spouse that's done that for you? Yeah. But I think this is about more than just marriage, although I think the Adam and Eve story is certainly about the marriage between a man and a woman and the, the allies that they become to one another. It's really just about community. Why God says it's bad for us to be alone? Because God knows that we're gonna struggle to always be clear on what's true. And because of that, our desires are gonna kick in and lead us to make choices that we don't wanna make. And so we need somebody there as kind of a last resort, a last stand saying, hey, that's a lie. Don't believe it and don't do that. You know, we have these men's groups and women's groups at, at this church meet all kinds of times throughout the week, all places throughout the city. And I'll tell you, if you go to a men's group or a women's group and you share all the messes you've made in your life and everybody just says, that's all right, you'll get them next time, okay? That's not a good group. Uh, you wanna be a part of a group where you start sharing what you're thinking, sharing the path you're considering going down and somebody says, you are believing a lie, stop. This is what's true. And that's what it means to have allies in faith. And that's what, Adam was called to. I mean, that's in some ways what all of us are called to. Look at this. This is in Hebrews 3. Look at what it says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's what? Deceitfulness. Here it's not sin's power. It's sin's trickiness. The way it gets you to believe lies. Okay. So Eve is actually a part of a community that could intervene, but Adam doesn't. He doesn't protect her. She makes a choice based on believing Satan's lies, based on her own desires. He's just as guilty as she is. And all the good that God has made begins to unravel. We're gonna see that next week in the Cain and Abel story. We see it in the Noah and Noah's Ark story. We're gonna look at that the following week. We see it in the Tower of Babel. It's just like when we stop believing what's true and give ourselves over to lies, everything good around us just starts to unravel. So what's, what's the truth? Let me remind you. The truth is that what God provides for us, the way God designs us, God's purpose for us, his instruction for us, the community that God builds around us, that all of that is good for us. That God is what is best for me. So what's the lie? Anything else. That this thing is best for me, that I should choose what's right and wrong for myself. I should have, be the owner of, should determine what's good and what's evil. I know what's best for me. Any of that is believing the lie. And what we know, what we know, is that Eve and Adam are not the last people to do this. They're not the last ones. You know, Paul says in Romans, he starts talking about Adam again, and he starts talking about how sin enters the world, and he's kind of leading us to believe, well, this is all Adam and Eve's fault. And then he says, nope, all have sinned. Everybody does it. At some point, we all believe some lie. So here's, here's what I want to leave you with, church. I'm thinking about Brooke, whose story we heard. I'm thinking about Berkeley, who gave her life to Jesus in baptism today. I mean, think about these young women 
Think about all of the lies they are gonna hear in their life. And just, just think about what it's like. I don't know what this is like growing up as a young woman. What lies are you gonna hear about what makes you valuable? What's important to you? I think about all of our young men over there in HYG growing up, like getting this distorted picture of what it be, means to be a man. I mean, think about all the lies they're gonna hear in their lifetime. I mean, this isn't just a problem for young people, okay? I've gotten some of the, the forwarded political emails from some of y'all from time to time. Okay, it's not just young people who fall for lies. Right. Here's my promise to you. This church is committed to the truth, okay? I do not have time to mess around with lies. I mean, do you understand lives hang in the balance? You're like, Eric, that's pretty dramatic. I'll tell you what, people are gonna go from here believing things they shouldn't and do things they shouldn't and make their lives a mess, right? We cannot afford to believe lies. You know, what it means to follow Jesus is to pursue the truth above all else. And when you believe the truth, you will act that way. Like young people hear me. We don't live in a relative world where everybody's truth is everybody's truth. That's a lie. Okay. The truth is that God is what's good for you. And that's what we believe here. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as I dismiss you. God, I thank you for your people who are gathered here this morning. I'm thankful for those who are joining us online, your body of Christ spread around the world. God, it is a heavy burden, a heavy calling but an important one to pursue the truth. Your son Jesus said that we would know the truth and it's the truth that would make us free. It's not the truth that would bind us, the truth that would burden us, it's the truth that would make us free. And God, I pray that here we may remain committed to your truth in a world of lies. Make us discerners, God. Make us aware and sensitive to the craftiness, the cunning of the father of lies. Surround us with community, with allies who would intervene when we're believing what we shouldn't and point us in the direction of your truth, God. I pray, God, that you would form your truth in us every single day, that we might be witnesses of the gospel, of the good news, of the truth of Jesus Christ and a world of lies. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.